can you just tell me your name or I can say your number and what you have for breakfast? Well, my name is Kevin Mills. Yes. American Campbell. Officially, I suppose, a associate master. Hi, this is Mick Tully and you're listening to Mixed Martial Arts. So, we're going to start at the beginning. I know this is for regular listeners, I apologise. I, I need, really need to get some new intro stuff here. But we're going to start at the beginning because that's a great place to start. How did you get into martial arts? <laughs> um, the official uh, answer to that, uh, Mick, is I was, I was a teenager. I was 18 at the time. I was beginning to get into a, a few fights and a few brawls that were not one, there were three or four or five or six, one yes. of ten people. So I was getting into a little bit of trouble and it was going to go one or two paths and I had this real inspiration at the time that I thought, I'm going to learn how to fight properly. Yes. So I, I think I just, at that time or four, very shortly afterwards, after it, got into a brawl with me, two friends and ten others and we didn't get the shit kicked out of us, but it was a very violent encounter. Yeah, yeah. A close approximation to a beating. Yeah, yeah. 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 A close I've, I've been there. As close as you can get yeah. to it. And I thought to myself, I'm going to learn how to do this properly. Yes. And I won't get quite such a hammering as I did this time, even if there are ten people around. Yeah. And I just, I looked in the paper, there was an advert, and I did no research whatsoever. I walked into the school, school and that's how I started. And what art was this? It was American Kempo. You see, this is the thing, right? That was a loaded question, by the way. Uh, you're one of the only people that I know that's been very, very lucky that just found, you found the right pair of shoes, too fit, that as you grew, grew with you. Correct. Yeah, unbelievable. Correct. And, and, uh, you know, did you, did you know anything about martial arts? No, nothing. Yeah? No, no, no research, no nothing. And at the time when I started, I had a girlfriend. Right. And the girlfriend was a young lady called Jenny. Ah, I know that young lady. Yeah. Yes, well, wow. and, and then and we got married. We both started doing the same art together on right. the same night. We were boyfriend and girlfriend when we first started training American Kemper. Wow! She said, "I'm going to come with you." And That's so, unbelievable. And so we started together on, on the first day. And, and then obviously they Well, that's an interesting dynamic because most guys who do martial arts, their wives will grudgingly put yeah. up with it. Yes. Uh, if they run a school, they will do all the paperwork and everything, but they, they'd rather not be there. But is it a dilemma? Because at the end of the day, my wife liked doing the same things as I did. So yeah. she came with me and we went everywhere together. Yeah, you see, this is it. As I said, it's a very, very strange dynamic because it's not often that happens. I've had girlfriends... I've had girlfriends that came along to training, thought they wanted to train. And obviously in the old days, you know, people said it was the good old days. It was the bad old days. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the training methods were Correct. like barbaric. Yes. And you know, I, nowadays when, it always amuses me now because it's like train like a Spartan. And I was like, yeah, I train like a Spartan. And then you go, you know, civilize the mind, make savage the body. And I was like, I did no that. No pain, no gain. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, we're mammals. Pain is telling us. Pain is the body saying, this shit is not good for us. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I love that sheer force of will. And you're like, no, that could be sheer force of stupidity. It could be. Because, steer, you know, the willpower is great. Yeah. As long as it's steered in the right direction. Exactly. And what, what, so what is it that kept you in all these years? A growth. Yeah. A growth and an adaptability of the, the basic system that I was fortunate to be in indulged into it was as you said when you first started it was something that allowed you to grow that allowed you to develop and the system itself was set up in a way that was quite intellectual so it was based upon theories principles of movement and those principles of movement if taken to their their proper outcome would be things like Parker would say well if, it, if, if there's something better adapt that which is better if there is another principle which enables you to explain that then adapt that if, yeah. and he would say if you are still doing the same art as I'm teaching now in 10 years time then you haven't understood my art yeah that do you know what first of all uh, for the guys guys who are listening yeah we're refer referring to the the, the grandmaster himself oh, are, yes. grandmaster ed parker junior right no ed parker, ed parker sorry senior sorry yeah. and um Ed Parker Jr. is a wicked, we were talking about him yesterday. Yeah, yeah really, really good, really, really good, uh, like classic, class artist. 
and yeah, we'll get on to him in a bit because I yeah I I really admire him because he's one of the only guys that was in martial arts who just was like no I'm happy to be my own man. Yes. That's a different that's a that's a, that's for a later on. But Ed Parker, I I actually reference him in JKD a lot because obviously. Yeah, Guru Danny No Santo was a black belt of his. He was third, one of the third. third. Yeah, he was the third guy on the list, and it was Ed Parker who encouraged Dan to go and train with Bruce. It was Ed Parker's Long Beach International. It was. That Bruce and Dan first met because he looked after him. And uh, for all of that, especially in, especially in the JKD world, what Ed Parker did was, I really believe, he was the guy who first, you know, he, he created this environment where being smart... I, th- I, I think you're right on the environment because one of the things that, that SGM Parker used to do and they used to do back in those days, one of his favourite haunts was, was a place called Wonkop, which is on the edge of Chinatown in LA. Right. And so after training, what did they do? They didn't go home, they went to Wonkop, which is where all the Chinese went. Yeah. And they all swapped their stories and they all interacted. Yes. And so it became, a, a, with, with Parker's, at that time, very scientific, practical, pragmatic view of the martial arts, he, he had all these Asian influences which he was then trying to redirect into a much more modernised way of being able to teach the Western society. Yes. It, but he was, it was very, I, I said, you know, I, I've, I've tried to read everything I can on him because... What, what I really liked was, again, there was, there's the Elvis influence in there yes, as well, yes, yes. which uh, so many of my friends, especially my older friends in martial arts, they only got into martial arts because Elvis did karate, and then it was like, he did Kempo. And, and you know, what people don't think as well, this is going off on a little bit of a tangent there from uh, you know, Grandmaster Ed for a second, is Elvis was a legitimate black belt when he was, when he was stationed in Okinawa, he trained. And, you know, and he did get his black belt because people all they do is they remember him being out of his mind on the <laughs> stage doing doing some patterns. But he, he used to he used to practice his moves while he was playing the guitar. Yeah, some of his stances were what he was taught through the martial arts. Yeah, so just like any artist, he was creating an expression through through, through what he loved as well. Yeah, it's it, it, you know it is funny because. It's only when you start really like looking into Ed Parker that you realise, you know, what a profound. You you mentioned it yesterday about dropping a pebble. Yes. When you're on about islands. Yeah, and the ripple effect. But Ed Parker's that. Oh, huge! Absolutely yeah. huge. And, and imagine um, Elvis has got a stepbrother, David Stanley. Yes. And um, they 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 uh, he put a film together protecting Elvis. Yes. Few, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah. That's right, and. Um, he, he told the story, I was, I was uh, in uh, Florida at one stage when, when he was telling the story about how he was messing around with the, um, with the, the IKKA's emblem and it was in a, like a plastic form and he just put it on one of Elvis's guitars. Yes. And that guitar was then one that of was the ones the one. that he yes. used in, in, in Vegas. Wow. And then they, they made a film of his life with Elvis in, in protecting the king and how he then was introduced into the Kemper world to learn the, the, the self-defense and the moves and the actions of yes. the Kemper. And they filmed, they used Larry Taylor as yeah. the, the role of Ed Parker Sr. And they, they had the person acting, David Stanley, in there learning all these moves of yes. American Kemper. And playing a cameo role, sat down on the mat, was the son of Ed Parker Sr. Right. And so it was, it was quite a, a, an eerie sort of thing. But, it, you know, it, it, it is funny because I've, you know, when I teach children, I always say, right, I'm going to give you a choice now. You can be tough or you can be smart. What do you want to be? And every now and again, you'll always get the one clown who says, I want to be tough. But nine times out of ten, they go, I want to be smart. And I went, yeah, because if you're smart, you can learn to be tough. Yeah. I don't know any tough guys that learn to be smart yet. And of course, all these kids are like, wow. And my parents are going, it's profound. But I'm convinced I actually got that from, I'm actually convinced I got that from, if it wasn't from Ed Parker, it was something to do with American Kempo. Because it, it, he, he did this, he wrote an article, and for the life of me, I'm going to have to get it, and I'm going to have to put it as like a, an addendum at the end here. But he, he wrote this article which was basically on about how you, you need to train the intellect yes. as much as the body. Well, I, I, absolutely. And Bruce Lee wrote some of those same things. Yeah. 
in, yeah. in, in, his, in his book, uh, chat, The Tower of Jeet Do. You know, in, in, so the, the thought process is he spent, a th- I'm aware of, a couple of years in very close contract, contact to, with Ed Parker Senior. Right. Learning some of the principles and theories that, that he was giving well, out yeah, well, yeah, at the time. But it's funny because, you know, when there was the huge split that time in the JKD world, and it was, you're an original JKD or you're a concept guy. And the original one was smart because I, I always used to look at it and go, right, okay. That, so the Model T Ford was amazing. And it was amazing, and it changed everything, right? Yeah. And yeah, how it got from the drawing boards to be able to drive it, there was a few people suffered along the way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, did the means out? Yeah, you know, did the ends out? Yeah, did the means justify the, the ends justify the means, right? But um, I looked at it and I was like, but we're the concepts guys, apparently. But we've always been concepts and principles based. Yeah, in my Brazilian jiu-jitsu, my Brazilian, the Brazilians are the best in the world for this because you ask them what the name is, it's that thing. So because they work off principles as well. Yeah, I think that I think the, the human brain works better that way, I right? Think, I think it it helps to learn, it helps the the mind to understand its actions a lot a lot easier, and it puts it into concepts that that can then become more abstract. So. Yeah. You know, if in American Kempo, if you start talking about depth theories or height zone theories, yes. If you then take those height zone theories and work them into width theory series, and then and then break those depth zones down, it, it enables you to have a visual understanding. And, and a lot of people obviously work visually. Yes. So in, the, in so in that in that respect, it does help a lot, and it helps a lot for people's real understanding of what they do. One of my one of my not a big issue, but sometimes I'll get somebody come into the school and I'll say, well, why do you do that? You know, well, why, why do you create a handsaw with your fingers together, for example? Yeah. And I'll say, well, I don't know. I'll say, well, go and ask your instructor, because that's who taught you. Yes. And, and nine <laughs> times out of ten, it'll be a traditional, traditional art, and they'll say, well, that's because that's yeah. the that way I was taught. You that's don't ask questions. No, you, we've been doing that for a hundred years. Yeah. It's, but it is very... It's, I've again, yeah. I always have to reference Dan and Osanto on about this because, yeah, you know, Guru Guru used to say he, he felt that he was probably the most annoying student ever because he spent more time asking questions, asking he thought, questions. than he was yeah. actually doing training. Yeah. But, but why are you doing this? And again, it's uh, especially the one thing again. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, t- I, s- I said to you yesterday, uh, American Kempo is one of the only arts. It's one of the only like. I don't want to call it a dogmatic art because it certainly isn't. But when, when if if for the layman, you're looking in there and you see the belt system, you see the guys wearing the belt, yeah. uh, wearing the keys. Yeah. You yeah. see the guys lining up. You see all of the you tradition, know, all the tradition, and all the pomp and ceremony that goes yeah. with the bowing in. Then when I see the guys float, I'm like, wow, because I've said that before. That's Carly and geese. And of course, I you know, I tell it to you. There's certain guys that go, is this guy for real? But it is the truth. It's like. Why have you got, and I, again, I get it because I like the duality of man thing, yeah. right? it's like... Why uh, is that there? Yeah, why, why do you allow these guys to have such a level of like behavioural flexibility, yeah. but at the same time have them to be part of this whole the unit? Traditional side. Yeah, and it, I think he was smart. I think he was, well, I know he, he was smart. He was smart because at the time when he was developing this, he was bringing together a franchise, which was one of the very first times that a franchise of, of karate was ever launched throughout the world. Yeah. And how is, how is anybody going to launch a franchise of martial arts throughout the world? And at the time, back in the, the late 50s, when all this was going around, what did people know as far as the martial arts were concerned? Well, there certainly wasn't any karate martial arts. No. And, you know, or, or, you know, Kung Fu, well, that was, again, mystic Chinese stuff. But people knew karate because it was, it was through the wars and through Okinawa yeah. and that type of thing. So karate had that, that, that first, if you like, hit on the... On the public, that they understood it. It was yeah. something that was created in the mind that karate was a mystical way of fighting, and karate had those traditions. And so, Ed, what did Ed Parker do? He used people's perceptions of what that was around at the time, i.e., karate, and then said, "Well, I'm doing kempo, so we'll call it kempo karate." Yeah. And so, it, it then became something that was more uh, open for for the general but public. People, people, people are more susceptible. To embrace something that's familiar. Yes. You know, you don't go up and ra- hug a random stranger, but you'll hug your mom. You know, and that's, it is, especially for me, the, the Kempo, like I said, I, the Kempo was one of the first things that I actually looked at. There was nowhere in Coventry, <laughs> uh, as you could guess. And ironically, when I lived in Dublin, 
there was a load of places, but there I was, was too young. There is. But I didn't yeah. realise. And that's what I'm going to get you on because uh, everybody now knows, you know, martial arts, Ireland, Conor McGregor, right? And which ironically, Conor McGregor is straight blast gym, which is Jeet Kune Do, which like, uh, a lot of people go, he, he does MMA. And I'm like, uh, no, he actually does Jeet Kune Do. But he uses some great principles. Exactly. And he's, a lot of that is down to his coach. So I think John Kavanagh is a genius. I really, really do. Uh, but Ireland is bizarre because everywhere you go in Ireland, it's Kempo Cray. It is. Yeah. Everywhere. It is. And how, tell me, you know the story about this. Well, the, the, there was a lot of, uh, many years ago, there was, a, there, there was always a couple of fractions as how American can put into Europe in general. Yes. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, at the time, there were two views and American Kempo came via two routes. And it was a question of which one was the first. Yeah. The, you know what, people being people, they always want to know. Yeah, yeah, too right. They always want to know where it's from. They always want to put it in one. Yeah, no one, no one knows Buzz Aldrin, but they, yeah. they all know Neil Armstrong. And so there's, there was this big to-do and a lot of research went on. And, and ultimately, there's a guy still living today called Tommy Jordan. Yeah, I know Tommy Jordan, yeah. Tommy, Tommy Jordan was the very, very first guy to knock on the door of Tom McSweeney's studio when he very first opened back in the very early 60s and he was the student of Ed Parker that brought it over to to right. So there was Tommy, Tommy Jordan, George Moore, um, Mahon, Mahon, and there was two others and I can't remember them at the moment. And there was four of them. Yeah. And that was back in the early 60s. And from those four, in the middle of Dublin, it's like, dro- like I said, it's like dropping a pebble in the middle of a city where you drop American Kemper in 50 years ago and now all this time later suddenly there's such a diversification of American companies in that one city. More yeah. in Dublin than there is in any other city in the world. Even where it was first first it, you know, May, which is which is LA, so wow. to speak. <laughs> Ireland has got the biggest diversification. Well it is it's really funny. I think it was two thousand I'm trying to think now. It was either two thousand and eight or two thousand and ten at the uh, Senate. And Tommy Jordan was over yes, yes. with, uh, yeah, at the time, I think Daniel Blanchet was over. Yeah. There was a few guys, uh, Joe Carslake was there, and they were all down at the Senate. And I, I, met, I met Tommy Jordan, but obviously I, I met him actually through Pillage. And we were chatting away, and yeah, I heard the accent, where you're from, Dublin. Oh, you're still in Temple Oak, having a great crack. I was thinking to myself, what a lovely guy this is. I, who is he? Yeah. And then the next day I looked, and yeah, he, he goes again. And I was like, I, 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 I look at his belt, and there's like all these bars on it. And I, I was like, I have to apologise. Yeah, I, I, I just thought you were just some like, ordinary guy. And he went, I am an ordinary guy. And yeah. I was like, do you know what? Yes. You want to start talking about modern masters? Tommy Jordan. Tommy Jordan is an honest man. And the reason why I call him an honest man is because if you ask Tommy what Kempo Reset does, he'll say, I teach the Kempo I was taught originally. Yeah. And that's and I'm happy with that. And that is an honest person that understands his art and is happy with teaching where he is and doesn't try to dress it up in any other fashion. Well, that's my that's one of my biggest hates in, in martial arts is where you you know, you go in there and you know, there's I know guys who are just they're awesome at teaching children, but then they have an MMA program for adults and I'm like but you've never fought in a cage yeah why are you doing this well there's money to be made there yeah. or yeah, the, yeah again as I've said before so many times that I, I think it's rather immoral that you know first of all the reality based stuff if it's based and it's some sort of new type of fighting it's like right the world isn't as dangerous as you're trying to tell me no it isn't but for you to sell your product, you have to explain to people that it is. Yes, and I really, I don't like that false narrative for a start, and I really, really don't. I don't like the idea that you know, weak and vulnerable people have their... That's the way of the world, though, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, that is the way of the world. Yeah, but Kevin, you're supposed to, you're supposed to, you're supposed to have honour in Geary. <laughs> it, it comes with a gig. <laughs> yeah, but those values and the values of integrity, honesty, loyalty—you know—you you name them—have uh, become a, a lost entity in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, the value in which people put on martial arts, the value that they—you know—we had grading yesterday, and we had one child that got two, two, two weight, two parts through his, his black belt grade. Asked whether he wanted to continue, he said no. He said, so, Okay, so then I'm going to do it. Yeah. So he didn't pass. And another, another girl got deferred. 
and I was explaining this to somebody downstairs, and, he said, and I said, I had one boy came back from holiday one day, took a test two weeks later, and didn't pass, failed. Well, outright failed. Yeah. And, and then I said, then I get a letter from the mother. Oh, he says, oh, you're complaining. I said, no, thanking me for teaching her son a valuable lesson of life in a safe environment. That's because it's not all about obtain the goal, get, get the goal, go for the belt, get the belt. It's also about learning the lesson that sometimes things take effort and you don't get them. Yes. And, and you, you, you have to know to a certain degree when to teach that. And when you can put that upon the Well, it's so funny you say this because, again, um, I, as I'm getting older, I don't know whether or not it's the fact that I just read into stuff too deeply nowadays. But yeah, I find a load of wisdom on Facebook now through mm. memes. And, you know, I, I look at them, and there's, there's a guy who basically he's, it's not, it's not really a meme, it's an advert that he's got for his gym. And it's got enroll your child. In, and it, I think it's, a, like, it's in America, it's a wrestling program. It's in charge, in, in, enroll your child in a wrestling program because it's never too late, it's never too early in life to learn that somebody doesn't like you and will make you work and do stuff you don't want to do. Yes. And I was like, that is the greatest reverse psychology <laughs> ever because it's like, no, no, I'll do it. But yes. it is truth. You, you know, Our model in what we do with it, within what we, how we teach children is character building through martial arts. Mm. You know, we build character through martial arts, and and you know everybody teaches children nowadays. But you, you go back years, and the martial arts was never for it was never for children. It, it, it was just it wasn't the case. A black belt would never have ever been attained. I do not agree with giving downgrades to to children. I do not agree with children training in the same classes and the same material as adults. No. Because it's like sending your child to school at 10 years old and say, okay, well, you're at 10, but I'm going to teach you a 15-year-old's curriculum. No. They're not ready. But They've got to go through a process. But it's so funny you said that because it's like, uh, you'll have parents that, that I want my child to go up to the next class, and you're like, right, okay, do you let your child play Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. No, no, because that's over 18. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, it why, has why? to be a, t- a child developed through a, through a process. And you yeah. can't rush it. Uh, and sometimes holding that process is a better development than, than trying to push it. Well, do you know what? It, 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 again, it just you got you've got to you've got to believe in the process. Yes, yeah. And you understand know, the process exactly. Understanding it first, and if it's a good one, stick with it. Uh, because you know, reinventing the wheel again. It's the, it's the whole martial arts thing, which uh, as I'm getting older amuses me, because uh, it's quite funny because. You know, with the, the you know the emergence of the Bourne movies and Batman and stuff, everyone's like, you do all that new Jason Bourne stuff, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, Carly's like five thousand years old, yeah. and they're like, what? Yeah, yeah, you you, you know, the, especially the Philippines, it's like you got seven hundred different islands yeah. who all disliked each other. And we all did something different. Yeah, and you know, it's like he's doing a better. Well, we'll do a variation on that, and then you know, you get the cultural appreciation, and there's. When you were saying about you didn't think martial arts was ever really for children, I, I'm totally with that. I really believe that people have turned around and gone, right, it's a load of money we can make out of this. Yeah. How can I actually now make... Because now we've got... Okay. We, we, need, we need the product. Yeah, I know. But now, let's, but now let's qualify that because the martial arts was never for children in the way in which the concept was to be Because it was a concept of war, it was a concept of violent encounters um, and the martial arts has now had its effect for many many years and it has now become research and literally proven that certain types of martial arts training is has longitudinal benefits for the children yes now i mean i know we touched on it I've written two books so far, and I've, I've actually written three. My third book is Building Character Through Martial Arts. And I'm not sure of the title yet because it's not finished, but it's all about how to teach children. Right. It's, and I, when I say it's all about how to teach children, it's about the psychology that backs children up. It's about how we learn. It's about behavior. It's about habits. It's about homework. It's about 
do I let my child play that computer game? Is that computer game good for them? Is, uh, is social interaction good for the children? How do we develop that? What does a, learning a second language have as an impact on the child's behaviour and age of life? What is bad behaviour? ADHD, all those, how does that impact and how do you teach it? Yeah. My book was going to be a small one, but it turned into one of the biggest things that I've ever done yet. Yeah, oh, because the first two books were on what? The first, well, the very first book was on something I, something I termed the secret science of American, uh, sorry, the secret science of martial arts. Yes. The story behind that is that I was training in American Kevin for 25 years, and yeah. I was in America one day, and Ed Parker Jr. introduced me to a guy called Dr. Chappelle. Now, Chappelle was a personal student, personal friend of Ed Parker Sr., so we come back to that. That interaction between between those between you know, G and Parker, um, and Edmund said to me at the time, he said, "You need to go down and train with this guy." And I I turned up on a studio in Manchester in downtown LA one Wednesday night with three of my friends. Walked on the floor. I had no clue what was going on. You know, it's very it's it's a completely different environment when you got cops coming in off the street, taking off their weapons. And yes, I've been there. Yeah, and put them in the lockers. Yeah, in the gun locker. Yeah, in the gun lockers, and you're like. Well, what's going on here, you know? And yeah. then you get on the floor, and and all of a sudden I'm exposed to something. And I'm a good fighter. Yeah. Okay, I can fight. I can look after myself. Twenty five years of doing something. You're you gonna can, be good at it. You're gonna yeah. be good at it. And I'm destroyed. My my principles that I base some of my things on are destroyed. My principles of understanding the mechanics of the human body and how I can stop certain things and the force being applied to me, I've, I've been destroyed. Right. In an instant. And I'm stood there going. How is he doing that? My other friends stood there going, what, what's happening? And my other friends are going, I can't believe this. And the other one's just out of it because he can't even know what's going on at the time. Yes. And I'm trying to figure out why this is happening. So from that day onwards, and it was 2000, it was back in 2000, I started training and it cost me a fortune. I went to the States so many times I lost count. Yeah. But I got the knowledge and I got put on the path. And the path was biomechanical, psychological applications within American capital. And this this gentleman, Dr. Chappelle, right? Yeah. Yeah. You you when we were talking yesterday you mentioned him. He was He was the, he was at that time the best friend of of Ed Parker Senior that spent a load of time with him and learned how he moved himself. And He's a guy that he's got. He's got Ed Parker entrusted to teach his son. Did yes. you say as well? Yes, yes. Edmund Edmund went down and spent five years training uh, with, with with Chappelle. And because you said he was a huge, was he a huge guy as well? What Chappelle? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a black guy and he's, he's a he's a huge character. I, yeah. I don't train there at this moment in time. Financial problems occurred. You know, things occurred. I don't go there now. But I trained for for thirteen years. In, wow. in this in this particular element of what he calls sub-level full Kempo. Now, sub-level full Kempo, my first book, was really my experience through the learning process of sub-level four. And sub-level four concentrated on the biomechanics and the application of the human body, how the muscles were firing into different, um, well, into preset patterns to create either solid or fluid muscle applications. Yeah. how you moved naturally and then <clears throat> what happened was this sort of set me on a, a path of, of intellectual discovery if you like Yeah. then I was reading the books by Grossman on, on killing and I was looking at the psychology of, of humans I was read on combat and then I started reading all these other books and exposing myself to knife people and, and lots of stuff special forces people from the US and what I then began to learn is that the human body and the psychic that, meant that, that supports the martial arts was one of the things that was very much lacking of how, how, how to teach this. Yes. <clears throat> so in my first book, which was The Secret Science, I explained about how people move, how people walk, how people change their gait. I taught about structural alignment, how you move your hands. I taught about proprioceptive perception, which is the innate way in which you know where your body is in space and time. Believe it or not, when myself and Al Pizan used to do our, we used to do our uh, monthly master classes, uh, this was, bear in mind, uh, during a period where everybody was doing some sort of like master class. Yes. And it, like, that was it, but everybody was like, you got a, a guaranteed something at the end of it, a, a certificate. And we never did. And there was, you know, it was like literally come and train with us. And we, 
prided ourselves on getting the best guys that we could get in different areas. So, you know, we would get a psychologist to come in and yep. talk about, you know, the effect that extreme stress and the violence has on your body, right? So we had that. And then we had a guy, a guy, what was Guy's second name? He was an expert, well, he was an expert on proprioception. And he came in and I, I was like, wow. And he went, he was watching me move. And he, he said to me, he goes, you really have an understanding. And I went, what do you mean? He says, of where you are in space and time. And exactly. I went, yeah, because I'm a Buddhist. And he went, no, no, I mean the way that you move your body. And I went, well, I know how long my arms are. And then obviously, because I'm a plasterer, I'm like, well, I use my body every day. It's yes. my best friend. I need yes. to do it. But, you know, it's very, very, uh, it's very interesting that you picked up on that because a lot of people, especially in martial arts, I've always said this, there's a lot of monkey see, monkey do. Well, as it comes back to the, it comes back to the intellectual art and doing things. I, I am one of those people that would say, ask questions. It, yeah. it, it, you know, I don't mind. The problem is some of the questions that get answered are not, and not, not sorry, get asked are not easily and quickly answered. No. So if somebody says to you, "Well, you know, why do you move your foot or stamp it on the floor at that particular time?" So you know, an example would be, if I wanted to move very quickly to my left, I would move my foot first to the right and then use that as a mechanism to move to the left. We said, well, "Well, what is that?" Well, in its very basic form, if I got a I did it yesterday in the seminar where I got somebody to walk across the mat and then go from a walk to a sprint as fast as they can. And what they do when they do it, and every child does it, and every person does it when they want to do that, is yes. skip. So the skip is a, is a <laughs> natural mechanism in the human body. Uh, and if a rugby player is running down, down, down towards one person that's left on the, on the pitch and he wants to throw a fake, he very quickly steps to the left, but then he's yes. going to the right. It's a mechanism that allows that body to very quickly move. And, and, and we don't change. You, you, it's it is so funny. It's what uh, again. It's when you look at people and they talk about well, we have a different type of martial art. And I went right. I can get it culturally. I do. I do get this. Where it's like right. Okay. You you know based on the environmental constraints or you know the cultural constraints. Culture has an impact on on how they deal with things. And you know you look in the UK and we are not allowed to have weapons. So. The, the cultural tends to be fisty work, groundy work. You go to the States, you've got guns, you've got knives. You go to the Philippines, you've got, you've got swords, you've got machetes, you've got knives, you've got sticks. So it, yes, and, and, life, and life's cheap. Yeah. yeah, there is a cultural influence. But ultimately, the human body can only move in so many ways. Exactly. And we all move the same way. And we all have the same biomechanics and we all have the same mechanisms that move the body and nothing is any different. Yeah. And so what, 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 the, what the book goes into is it's first delving into that area of, of how we move our bodies and, and what happens and some of the psychology that supports that. Yes. Because ultimately... I was talking to a guy downstairs, and I don't, I don't want to say too much about it, but I'm trying to give an example of um, how the body goes back to primal behavior when it's under high stress. Yes. And one, of my, one of my favorites, Mick, is when, you, when you're having an adrenal dump, you're going to lose motor, uh, fine motor skills, you've got tunnel vision, your earring auditory goes, everything. So you, 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 know, you, you can't actually, you've got to go to gross motor skills. Yeah. There's no point in training anything else. Yeah. And, and the way I explain this is I say, well, let's imagine that you are an important person. You're employed by the government, you know secrets. You get kidnapped. You're lucky. They track you down, they know where you are, they know you're in a room, they know that you're held by some terrorists and they're sending their best in to get you. Do you want their best to walk into that room under gross motor skills, not being able to consciously and attentively Hit the people that are around you, yeah. or do you want to just, just spray the room? Go in there with a the shotgun. Best. Go in there with a shotgun with exactly. a big spray. Yeah. What would you rather? Uh, I want the guy who's trained. I love the guy that trains. What's the difference? Their heart rates, their 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 life, their death situations. Their adrenal dump has hit yesterday. Yes. They're they're at 140, 200 beats a minute, but they've still got control of their attention and their and their, and their abilities. Yeah. Why can't you do that? Now, you know what is so funny? So funny you're saying this because in 2008, earlier on when you said you're going to the gym and they, these guys are putting their, they're putting their guns, they're, they're putting their guns in the gun locker, right? Uh, and you go, wow, yeah. And I, you know, the first couple of times I went to America, I, I got it. And then I, yeah, I've probably been over five times by 2008. 
and I was in Seattle and we were training with a student of Rick Young's, uh, a guy called Rob Mahoney, uh, and you'd love this guy. This guy uh, has got a master's in theology, uh, but there's no money in academia, so he joined the police. Always into martial arts, so now he, he, he basically teaches special weapons and tactics yeah. in Seattle. So their facility is unbelievable. So again, we're in there, and it, it, it was, it, it was for me. It was one of those moments where I looked at it and I was like, I am an amateur in this game, yes. but and I'm just going to sit back, keep my mouth shut, but enjoy the ride, because we got a couple of different guys to come in and speak on different matters and basically for a long time in martial arts we were all using this coop code stuff and it was it was making me smile because basically it was trying to be explained to me by someone that I yeah I know that I'm shit but I'm listening to some guy and I'm going you're more full of shit about this than I am <laughs> right and he, yeah he's dropping all this coop code stuff on me and I'm, I'm just not getting it so then I go over to Seattle and a, a friend of mine Tim Hanks who is he was in the military for years and Tim is now, he's in, he, ironically, he's taken up a load of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I actually thought he'd never do. Just got his purple belt. Well done, Tim. But um, he was the first guy to explain to me about, you know, uh, they, they call it going black. You know, where you're at that level where it's yes. like at 190. Yeah, yes. uh, it's like normal human beings were just, they're out. Yeah. yeah like within a couple of minutes, they're out. And he said, yeah, he goes, I'll operate, I can, I can operate at, at that level for probably about six hours. Yeah. He said, but then, he said, fatigue, it's just chronic fatigue kills so me. There's then. a big crash. There's a huge that. crash. But I was like, how do you get there? And he went, loads and loads of training. Loads and loads of training. Loads and loads of training. Sleep deprivation, then loads and loads of training. And it was, again, with the martial arts, it, it's funny because I know that Leo Gahi had this with, with, with Billy McGrath, where when they were training in Pekiti Tertia, and Billy was living at his house like for a couple of years and he'd go running into the room at half two in the morning punch him in the head drag him out and just get him yeah. to start working out yeah. and he thought it's just masochistic and yeah. it's like no he was just he was trying to get that professionalism of exposing you to a high stress stimulus and you can only get that to, to that exposure to high stress stimulus by doing it yeah. by doing it <laughs> and, and that's then that's the innate problem of, of the martial arts because ultimately it's trying to teach a violent encounter that will never be that violent encounter because they'll never experience it because they can never get that close to the to, no. to the to the experience of violence. No, it, again, you you need to get it as real as possible. Uh, again, this is you know where you said earlier where I want you to learn a valuable lesson in a safe environment, yes. and that is the that is the one. The problem is that sometimes you can't do it physically; you have to do it verbally. And in in, in the states, there is a good there's a good saying within the the military, the combative area, which is slow, smooth, smooth is fast. Yes. Now, slow, smooth, smooth is fast because everybody in the martial arts want to go fast because that's what they perceive. They want to go fast, 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 fast. But the truth of it is that accuracy trumps any power, and and slowness trap just trumps any speed. Yes. So you go slow and accurate, and power will come. Now, the thing is that if you're going slow and accurate, it's called what, what you're trying to do. It, when you're born, you learn to walk. But now you don't think about walking. But there was a time in your life when you had to think. The brain had to think how it was going to put one foot in front of the other, how it was going to balance itself. You weren't thinking about it because you weren't conscious enough to do it. Yes. But you're a one or two, and the body is learning to, to motivate itself, to move. To, yeah. So at that particular time, you were going through this huge learning process. Now, it then becomes what would be termed use-dependent. Yeah. Because you use it every day. And the term is use-dependent cortical reorganization. Right. Because if it becomes a use-dependent activity that you depend upon, then it becomes spontaneous, then the brain doesn't have to think about it, and then the brain continues on and yes. does it automatically. And so if you want to get to that point, and that would be, if you asked somebody, well, what's your goal in a martial art? Where do you want to get to? What do you want to be doing? How do you want to be able to move? They went, well, move without thinking. Move fast without thinking. Yeah, the art of fighting without fighting. The art of fighting yeah. without fighting. Be a, oh, I just don't, you know, I don't want to move. I want to be spontaneous. Uh, how do you get to be spontaneous? See, so that comes down. It's like, and it's explained like a, like a fresh field of grass. And every yeah. day you take a walk on that grass, and every day you take a different path. Yeah. And after a month, you look at the field, you can't see nothing. 
Yeah. But if every single day you stepped in exactly the same spot, after a month you'd see a trap. Well, that's what your brain's like, and you have to map the neural pathways. Yeah. If you want to be accurate in your movement, there are two real basic concepts that you need. You need to map the mind, and you need to map it accurately, and you need it to map it in connection with the natural movement of the human body. Right. Because you can be, because as a human, as a person, you can learn any type of behavior. You go watch a break dancer doing spins on his head and flips yes. out. Is that natural movement? No. Well, no. No, it, it's not, because yeah. they've learned how to do something. So the human body is capable of doing extraordinary you, you, movement. You've hit, you've hit on something which always amuses me, uh, and it does. It's like, I've gone into gyms, uh, yeah, especially when you teach seminars, and some of these guys, I, they're, they're lovely people. Yes. And they're, they're great, but what they're doing is awful. And they're, they're going, well, I'm sticking at it, practice makes perfect. And I don't know, no, no, practice makes habit. And then they look at you and they go, what? I'm like, yeah, practice makes habit. Yeah. And makes you, habit. You, unless you know, is this good for you? Well, I, I think it is. Well, I'm thinking, no. I, can you? I had a discussion with two people yesterday, and both of them, were, one, one of them's got a knee operation, the other one's just had a knee operation. I was in the States, and there was one particular guy there waiting for two hip operations. Is, the, is high kicking the martial arts good for you over a long period of time? The amount of knee replacements and hip replacements, I say, I say no. No, it's not. Because but, people don't understand the mechanics, and they don't protect themselves. And it goes back to that old day training that you said. You know, I remember the old day training, press-ups on the backs of your hands, press-ups on your fingers, press-ups on your knuckles. Yeah, yeah. Blimmin, uh, sit-ups off of people's knees, and you know, you were you were completely at risk to the to the person that was teaching you at that time. Yeah. But there is a balance, so long as you understand the mechanics. Yes. But it's funny you said that, because uh, a really good friend of mine, Rosie Sexton, um, Rosie's an osteopath. Rosie's easily one of the most intelligent people I know. She's unbelievably intelligent and she's so funny and a really good person. But Rosie said the problem is in martial arts, we have people who go and that anybody can make someone sweat. How many people can teach people? Yes. And I'm like, wow, yes. that's a heavy concept. And you see, teaching people needs to just try to reconnect to the way in which people can understand natural movement yeah it's like my one of my big things is symmetry yeah. right? bilateral symmetry is one of the basics of how the human body moves it seeks symmetry every <laughs> organism in the world that moves moves through an application of symmetrical movement uh, Eddie Quinn Eddie Quinn will always if you ever see Eddie teach Eddie says my whole the whole approach is based on bilateral symmetry <laughs> because people are like it's so simple and he went but you do it every day if your left leg goes out your right arm goes back you want to know a funny thing but yeah many Eddie when I first met Eddie I, was, I paid and went and did, did Eddie's seminar and he threw me a ball and everybody was throwing the ball back and the funny thing was he threw me the ball and I took two hands and flipped it up in the air and threw it back to him really and he didn't get it back the way he thought no which is everybody was doing the same thing yeah yeah but that again it's very smart Eddie's because oh, right, Eddie's like yeah you're very mirror, smart person your you'll mirror you'll mirror my behaviour and under pressure it's the Jedi mind trick. I kick you in the leg, you'll kick me in the leg. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Because priming in the psychology of human beings is another thing. <laughs> Just before we come off of that, yeah. Eddie came over to me and he said, yeah, but look, we're always putting our right leg forward and our left foot forward. I went, yes, Eddie, you're doing bilateral symmetry. Yeah. And he went, oh, hang on a minute. And he, and went, he wrote, wrote it down. Yeah, no, down. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. That, and now he knows he teaches bilateral symmetry. Yeah, because he didn't because he didn't know at the time. It was just the term. He, and, then, yeah. and, and then he and now he understands the, the scientific term of how the human body works. But imagine just to get that clarity. And the way I use it as an explanation is imagine you're looking at I don't know, the best sprinter in the world doing hundred meters. Yes. Okay? What do you see? You see that person powering down the track with the left and the right side of his bodies working in perfect bilateral symmetry to power the body. What would happen if I tied his left arm to himself? He would never be able to run as fast as he could because the body's natural movement is in that symmetrical fashion. Yeah. You see, so 
if the body moves in a natural bio, bi, uh, bilateral. Bilateral symmetry, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it either works in bilateral or lateral. So if it's lateral, it's my right and left side, or yes. my left and right side. Or if it's bilateral, it's left and right, or up, uppercase, lowercase. Well, yes. Up. But also, think about this. When you look at something that you consider to be beauty, let's say a beautiful lady. Yes. And suddenly you look at that, you look at that person and go, ah, they're quite beautiful, there's just something off. And usually that something off, that little innate thing is the fact that the body is meant to be built symmetrically. That, you, you've, hit, you've hit something, right? This is real criminal minds level stuff, right? But um, I don't, I'm really doing it a disservice here, but there is a condition that we are, we are attracted to almost perfection, yes. which is because if you look at look at my it's, face, it's I'm a triangular calculation. That's it, because I I'm a one, I'm an eye Isaiah, yeah. so I've got one eye that's higher than the other, right? Yeah. And what they I, I read this study on it where they they basically got you to get a mirror and put it straight down the middle, so you're going straight down the center line of your body, yeah. and then they would say, tell me do you look anything like yourself? And it was like, I look nothing like it. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's, we, we look for symmetry. We do. But it never, it's never totally there. It, it, but we work towards it, right? We work towards it. But, but imagine, so if you look for symmetry in your, vi- in your vision, what you see, and you seek symmetry in your movement, if I then said to you, well, well what I want you to do is I want you to click, click your two fingers together, but I want you to click your right, right fingers real hard and your left fingers real slow. Yeah. Lightly. You can't do no, it. No. Because the body seeks symmetry in its pressure application. So if I touch my foot lightly on the floor, my hand will lightly move. Yeah. If I bang my foot on the floor, my hand will bang. Yes. Heavily. So it seeks symmetry in its, its pressure application, its strength application through what it does. Yeah. Have you have you ever seen any of the uh, cognitive Kali? Have you seen that no. TED talk? No. Yeah, because uh, that is where the Sinawali drills with the double stick are one of the only things because they've actually they've actually uh, monitored the brain activity while it's doing because it's one of the only things that makes the brain work completely in tandem, especially when you bring the footwork in place. And for a teaching principle, especially for children, yes. it blows anything, that, you know, the amount of real, like, sterling work it's doing with, like, kids with dyspraxia. Yes. Again, I totally, I, yeah, I really it's, believe it's, this. It's, it's trying to get the brain to reconnect back into the way in which it was built. Yes. And it was built in that way to move that body in that symmetrical path. There's a, there's a therapy in the States, uh, and it's called symmetrical therapy. Right. And they did the research on knee operations and rehabilitation after that. And they, they, they did a test of, you know, so many people with normal rehabilitation over a six-week period and another test with a symmetrical therapy rehabilitation. Yeah. And the symmetrical therapy rehabilitation was 30% quicker and it lasted for much longer and they had less problems. Because the human body seeks that sim- symmetry to build itself. Well, you see, it's, it's, it, is, it is our ability to adapt and change. That is one of the greatest things Bring that we have. Back. It is. But it's balance back to the human body. Well, you know, this is the thing, right? I, I'm, I'm re- this is stuff that I'm researching at the moment, where everyone's like, but you seem so centered in yourself. And I was like... Uh, right, and I really want to give them some fuzzy wuzzy sort of answer to it, and I'm like, but I just feel comfortable in my skin. Yeah, I, I we, and I think the head just goes with it. Yes, it does, and I. I but that's really a, a, a an, that, that's really a mature experience. That's just that's that's an experience of you building upon the experiences of the past and becoming a, a, an intelligent and, and, and trying to trying to <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, one of my one of my favourite films was a film called The Silent Flute. Oh, David Carradine. Yeah, yeah. Written by Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce was Bruce was supposed to be in it, but he was too Chinese looking. He was, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, and and I've got a Tony had the T-shirt. Tight, signed by David Carradine with the silent flute. Well, I met David Carradine. That's a completely different oh, I story. Didn't, I have no, but yeah. Tony gave me the T-shirt. Right. So I've got the T-shirt. But that was one of my favourite films. And back along because it was not about anything else. It was about the discovery of where all the questions are. 
Yeah. How do you get to this position of happiness and, and contentment and you know acceptance? And then acceptance has been a big thing of mine. So you get it through self-discovery, and the only people that person that can really give you the answers is yourself. But yeah, you, you know, we'll be wrapping up in a minute. But it's it's funny. It's uh, it's a line that I always use, and I, I use it as a bit of a throwaway line, and it's a bit glib <coughs> because I always say. Uh, you know, when guys come in and uh, guys and girls they come in and want to train and stuff and they want to get better and I, I, they said well what should we do and I said you know the first thing we've got to do and they go what and I said you have to accept that you're not very good yeah. and they're like uh, but you know it's the whole you know when a guy comes into training have you done any training I've done a little bit he's the worst guy in the world to train oh, with because yeah. he, he, he can't be taught yeah and he can't be taught and again it was like uh, I said you've got to accept that you're not very good and they're like but why and I went well I've been in enough recovery programs to know that the first step to solving any problem yep. is accepting that you have one and it is the truth isn't it you've got to accept that there's going to be that you have the potential to experience violence you've got to accept that you have the potential to be violent yes and as a human being the majority of human beings are wired in such a way in which that is part of the natural makeup of the human being. That if you were an ev- evolutionist, that's where they'd say survival of the fittest king, because yeah. we were wired that way. And so accepting yourself, accepting what is dealt in your life. You know, we're here at an event uh, with Mr. Pillage today, and you know, the, the guy's the guy's not well. <laughs> and yeah, you know, he might not be around for too much longer. But I had a conversation with somebody many years ago, and he was dying as well, and. And he said, well, I've, I've accepted it. And, and it, it brought me to this understanding that people that experience this type of thing accept it a lot quicker than those that are around them. Yes. It's those that are around them that have the trouble in accepting the fact that they're not going to be around very soon. And those are the lucky ones because they know they're not going to be around very long. But, yeah, my, my, my father especially. My father's not very well at the moment. And he's uh, yeah, Irish and Catholic and... Yeah, anyone who knows, if you ever read any interview with me, you know, he's, my father was a formative man in my youth, but not for many good reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but that's just, yeah, that's by the by, you know, and tell me about the rage unit. Let's just come back from the rage unit for a second. Oh. Let's just talk about bullying. The rage unit was the experiments that were done to actually find the violent center within the brain that if activated could turn somebody into a passive human being to the raging violent animal. And there is a part in the a part in the brain which then gets activated by chemicals, which then turns you from a passive human being into a violent and aggressive one. Wow! And they called it the rage unit. And they did an experiment in cats where they inserted an electrode into the cat's brain, and the, pussy, the little cat was a lovely little pussy. And they switched the electric on, and it turned into a scratching, killing machine that nobody could go near. Yes. That was the type of research that was done into violence and how it sort of occurred and where it was in the brain. And then, and then very quickly I said, well, I had this person come to me one day and say, I want your help with bullying because we, we need to stamp out bullying. And the problem is that there, were, there, there is all this thing, and I've got to be very careful here because people don't understand bullying. Because they don't understand it, they always try and stop something they don't understand. Yes. To, to, to have a campaign which says... We need to stop bullying. Is pointless. And yeah. the re- why is it pointless? Because what is the behaviour of bullying, and why do we do it, and when do we do it? Well, let's just cut right to the chase because I, I, I won't go around the bush. Bullying is a behaviour designed for dominance and resource, dominance over the other person and resources. So ultimately, if I can have dominance over you, I've got the choice of better women, better food, better places to live, which then enhances my survival. And this sounds like this was in us a while ago, right? Oh, God. So when do we start learning this? When does, when does bu- the bullying behaviour first emerge? When is the most violent time in a person's life? So let's just assume you live to 60 years old, you're born at zero, you die at 60. When is your most violent time throughout your life? For me, what I would say... Yeah, when do you think it is? I would say it's within the first 15 years. 15 years? Be a bit more specific. 15 years is a long time. Okay, I would say from the age of seven, six, seven, 
to ten. See, you're thinking about back when you were yes, that, exactly. That age and you know what you were like that. Yeah. Can you think back to when you were two? Do you have children? I have got children. You know what the terrible twos are? I know exactly what the terrible twos are. Terrible twos are your first displays of behaviour, which is dominant bullying behaviour. And if you have two siblings in the house, you will see (laughs) them pushing each other, scratching each other, ripping things away from each other. Eric Paulson Paulson says, if you ever want to become a champion, watch two toddlers fight. Because no and answer blow. You hit me once, I hit you twice. Yes. Wow. You see, so it's crazy. That that behaviour is a pre-wired, innate, heritable behaviour. Because it, it, it prepares you, and it prepares you for dominance. Because if you didn't have that behaviour built in, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have the access to the resources. No. You wouldn't have gone to that survival mechanism. So, how can you stamp bullying out from schools when it is an inbuilt natural behaviour that no person can choose whether they do or not? They just do. You can have an effect but you can only have an effect by understanding why they produce the behaviour in the first place. Yes. So how do, how do you... And then being able to try to adapt a, 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 a restraint behaviour that allows them to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. But you can't stop it. Well, you know, this is fascinating because that's a primal... That's just a primal response, yes, right? Yes, Whereas... Again, and society has gone. We don't like that. We want to put it in a box. But you see, the, all our morality and all our values and all our compassion—they're all learned behaviors. I believe they're part of the learned behaviors. We have, you know, what you, the problem occurs is that when you start, when I start talking about this, and you, you know, we were having a discussion downstairs a little bit about a, not a nice subject. It was a subject of paedophilia. Yeah, it was, just, it was the worst subject in the world. Uh, it, it's an abhorrent subject, and I'm not going to talk about that now. But again, I go back. To, I did a lot of reading in, for my books and the researches for my books. And part of what I what, what we do is, as a human being, when you were born, when you come out of your mother's womb, what is the very first thing that happens? The very first thing before Ma- anything, the umbilical cord gets cut. You are taken from your mother's womb. In most, in, especially in the old, older days, and you're placed against the mother's body. Yes. And you're cuddled. And then suddenly you have contact. Yeah. Which is the biggest sensory input system within the human body? Touch. Touch. It's the biggest organ we got, right? It's the biggest sensory input sensations that we've got. So they did these experiments back a while, I don't know if you were aware of these, where they put, we wouldn't do them today because they're not ethical, but they would put a monkey in a cage. Oh, the, with the wire baby? With the wire baby, without yeah, the wire yeah, baby. Yeah, mother, wire mother, yeah, that was the and one, yeah. Yeah, and, the, and if, they, if they took away the comfort, the they, touch of the mother... They'd rather go hungry than go to the wire mother with the exactly. bottle. Yeah. They, could, they, couldn't, they couldn't be introduced into society and play, and, and play a, a normal role interacting with other people. They became out and, and, you know, they become aggressive and unable to, to make those interactions. Well, this is, this is again, it's, I've, I've, done, I've read a load of studies in, like, feral behaviour. Yeah. So, feral behaviour and extreme abuse where there was, uh, they could never do it, like, it could never happen again. There was a, a guy who was just, he was mad, uh, completely mad. His wife was, like, mad as well, but they had a child that they just didn't like, who was locked up, who never saw daylight. Yes. But she'd gone, I think they found, when they found her, she was probably 11 or 12. But then when they did the CAT scans on the brain, the brain, the organic, the brain's whole organic makeup was changed. Yep. Because, it, and they, they could never, they, and they couldn't, they couldn't even reach out to this girl. No. Or, or, yeah, yeah, Guru Dan calls it, so you have seven state, every seven years, Dan in Santo says, you have, you, you, you will, will be, Completely changed. Yeah. So, so it replaces itself every ten years completely. But your your your, your outlook on life. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's so like from not to seven is huge. Seven to fourteen is huge. Fourteen to twenty-one, you're not even there. Twenty-one to twenty-eight, completely different yeah. to thirty-two. Yeah. And like Guru Daniel, he says, he goes, everything. The foundation is built in the first seven years, and then everything is layered on it. 
and they, they, did, they found the same experiments in um, people that were orphaned, children that were orphaned, that were brought up in orphans that encouraged touch, and then orphans that were just there as to provide a, to, to provide the bare necessities, and these children were then were then researched as to how they integrated inside what they were like. So, so the touch, the behaviour, it all comes down to our understanding of why we do what we do. And if you could understand why we do what yeah. we do, then you have a chance. Bullying, if bullying can't be stopped, then it can be dealt with, and it can only be dealt with by a process of children that understand how to deal with it. And I have got what I call the three-step process to understand right. bullying. Very, very briefly, the, the, the three-step process goes, let's just imagine you're the child in the playground. Just set a scenario. You can't run. You can't get away. You've got the bully in front of you. You've got his friends around you. Fences behind you. You've got no way of escape. But there are people around in the background. You've got a little bit of room. Bully is intent on physical action. Because there's different types of bullying. Yeah. So let's just get to the physical. I'm going to harm you. One. Yeah. Well, my first step is to take take two steps back, put your hands up in the air, give the posture of I'm giving up and shout at the top of your voice, I don't want to fight you. Yes. Designed to tell him he don't want to fight you, but designed to draw attention to from everybody else yes. that you are in this position being bullied and don't want to fight. I had a child do this in the playground. Right. And that's and he did it once. And it all stopped and they yeah. all went. But we have called it a three-step process because if he doesn't happen, you step back again. You shout it again. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you. You do that three times. So I'm being really quick here yeah. because I've got to get through this process. So after that, it's still not going to go. The guy's still intent on, on doing you damage. So then what do you do? Then you try the verbal de-escalation. It's like, listen, mate, I really don't want to fight. Can't we be friends? You know, yeah. I, I, you know, can't we resolve this some way? And you have to, the, tr the children have to train this because yes. you just can't teach it. No. They have to experience, they have to role play. They have to role play it, yes, exactly. And if they don't role play, they've got no chance of, of yeah. ever hitting this type of behavior. Yeah. So we do, we, we role play this with our kids. Yeah. So, you know, you're trying to be his best friend and guess what? He still doesn't want to do it. Yeah. So then you got this then this this then this last point of what now what do you do? So you've gone through the trying to draw attention, trying to do you then de-escalated by the verbal, that hasn't happened. So you're then caught in this trap of now now I'm gonna get hit. Yeah. Well that's when the psychological switch comes in. Right. And you teach the child, push the other child as far back as he can, take up the posture and go violent in their application <laughs> of their voice. Come on then, if you want to fight, let's have it. Yeah. And, and the only thing is, that's your last resort. Because <laughs> after that, you're going to go. You've got to be prepared to go. Yeah, you've got to go. I, my, I have this anti-bullying, I have an anti-bullying program which is very simple, which uh, basically kids come in, they try and we just have fun. And it, um, they're getting bullied at school and I was like, who is it? They tell me, and I went, why? I don't know. Have you done anything? Yeah. To, have you done anything? No, no, they just don't like me. Right, okay. You have to, and it's exactly the same thing. It's like, I want you, first of all, to make sure that he doesn't, he, you don't want to fight. And we used to do, we used to do it with the submissive fence, where we'd go, no, no, we don't, we don't. But the problem with the submissive fence was you always had to knock the guy out, because yeah. if you went aggressive, there was a good chance you could bottle him out, because his adrenaline, you top up the adrenaline, and he can't handle it. But then you've you've just told this guy you have picked the right guy to beat up. But then then you have to do it. And with the children, they said, "Well, what do?" And I said, "Punch him in the throat." And, <laughs> and, and, and like parents go mad and they go, "What?" And I went, "Have you ever seen Karate Kid?" And a man can't breathe, a man can't fight. And they were like, "That's a movie." And I went, first of all, I don't want a child punching another child in the head or the throat." Yeah. But and they go, "But he's going to get in trouble." I said. But yeah. you're going to get in trouble anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, that, but what if I ask a teacher? That's the problem with schools, because schools have got the policy. The policy says if two people get in a fight, they both get expelled. And yeah. It's like, I had it with my boy. Yeah. Like, you know, Scott Mills, my, my son, went to school one day. I got the head teacher sat there, and he, I says, what's the problem? Scott's told me what's happening. He's seven or eight years old. Well, maybe a bit older, I can't Maybe nine or ten. Two of his mates are playing in the playground. He pulls one. He pulls them apart. And yeah. the other, one of them was on top smashing the other one turns goes to swing it in he ducks whack knocks him out yeah he was only 10 well, he was tra trained for years yeah next thing I know I'm stood in front of the of, of the headmaster and I says I look at him and I said 
What happened? He said, well, he pulled these two mates apart and then the other one swung at him and he missed and then he hit him back. I went, I looked at him right in the eyes and said, well, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah. You, what that, would happen if you were in that position? So yeah. what are you going to do? Just let somebody hit you? Are you, yeah. you going to defend yourself? Yeah, debate you your way right out. to defend yeah, yourself. Yeah, debate, debate your way out of this one. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 it, we need to get back to... It. Clear guidelines. Yeah, exactly. And what we, young boys, do you know what? Young boys do what young boys do. Yes, they do. Young girls do what young girls do and that is devaluing either of them no. that's what you do yeah. uh, you know if, if only there was more people with common sense in the world Kevin it's been an absolute honour I've wanted to get you on the show for ages uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, you lived up to all my expectations and I mean that thank you very much an intelligent an intelligent man as well <laughs> that, but, and, uh, I would expect no more from uh, from an, uh, an ambassador of Ed, Ed Parker bless you definitely bless thank you very much Thanks for taking the time to listen today. You can listen to more shows like this on MixedMartialArts.com. Mixed Martial Arts is an abrupt audio production. Today's show was produced by Luke Berry. Wow.